Yes, indeed. Off the weekend, it saw a highly entertaining triple header in Southern California Showtime PBC. We are here to recap it on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am the somewhat rested, somewhat capable host. I've been in the basketball world, but I've also been in the boxing world, too, for this weekend. I am fresh back from Charlotte, North Carolina, working college basketball live on Sunday, but I was not going to shirk the responsibility of being here with the man. He is Dan Rayfield, our insider, BigFightWeekend.com. Am I officially the good luck charm? I was in North Carolina, and you're a Duke basketball fan going all the way back 20, 30 years, and Duke beats North Carolina. It's a good weekend already, but now it's even better because Duke beat Carolina. I was there in the state of North Carolina. Maybe I was the good luck charm. Hello, Dan Rayfield, our insider well, from Fight Freaks Unite Substack and BigFightWeekend.com. How you feeling? I'm good. Were you in the state of confusion? And by the way, I've been a Duke fan for 35 plus years. Yeah. Well, I have been in the state of confusion. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I've been a fan since the, since the like the mid 80s. Yeah. I've been in the state of confusion for maybe that long. Duke's been that good for that long. And they got a piece of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. So it's a good weekend to be a Duke fan. Let's go, Duke. I even texted you those three words. Let's go, Duke, uh, as you were getting ready for the fight card. So a little college basketball to begin things. First of all, thank you for finding us, however you've done so. The audience, Dan, continues to hang in there and grow with us. Uh, Keep it up here in 2023. Keep finding us, subscribing. Again, we come off the weekend with the recap. Preview mode into the weekend, usually out Friday morning, overnight, Thursday, and a Friday. Recap show off the weekend, usually out Saturday into Monday or Sunday night into Monday. And I say that because it's going to get crazier with the March Madness basketball. But I pledge to you, peeps, you will have a show. You will have a show. I say again, you will have a show at some point Friday and at some point Monday. It will be there. We will get it done. However, Dan and I get it done. It's just like making a great meal. You got you don't have to go back to the kitchen and watch how we're doing it. Just eat the meal and enjoy the meal. We will get it done for you. It will be there. So make sure you're following. Make sure you're subscribing. We've got plenty. We've got some news as well, some updates on some fights and some injured fighters, uh, et cetera, some nostalgia uh, as well. And we have got a giveaway that we're going to talk about in a few moments in and around the David Benavides caleb Plant pay-per-view fight in Las Vegas. And, Rayfield, this just... This just isn't any giveaway, just as a little tease. They're going to want to stick around for what we are giving away, and they've got to act fairly quickly this week, but we're going to start mentioning it on the podcast. They want to be part of this giveaway. Just quick tease. They want to be part of this. It's not us that's going to give it away. It's our good friends at Showtime. Mm-hmm. So i got to give them the credit for it. But it's really cool. Got a chance to win something really neat. All right. And it's around the pay-per-view. And just stand by. You're going to be interested. Uh, I was interested in and around all of the college basketball and getting ready to do live college basketball on Sunday where uh, I worked that Sunday afternoon in Charlotte. I did peek and see what went on in Southern California. And let's just say from beginning to end, we are not overselling this. These were entertaining fights right through the main event with Brandon Figueroa getting the decision win. Tell me more. Well, I said the other day, I think I said it on our BetUS show, uh, I think I said it on our most recent podcast that we previewed these fights that I didn't want to sound like a broken record and tell people, hey, we got another fight that's probably going to be a great fight. Because you you don't want to bullshit people and like have them watch and it stinks out loud. But you, you want to be true to what you think the fight is going to be. And to be honest, there's been so many fights over the last few weeks uh, that when I saw them on paper, you know the two guys involved or the two women involved. And you're sort of like, man, this has a really good chance to be 
a fight of the year contender. I mean, it kind of gets like redundant at this point, but that was the reality going into this show. And I said it again, I wasn't the only one. It wasn't like rocket science. When you make certain matchups and you understand the types of styles that the two fighters employ, in this case, we're talking about uh, the, the former title holders and the former featherweight title holder, Mark Magsayo, and the former junior featherweight titleist, Brandon Figueroa. They were fighting for the interim WBC title at featherweight. You kind of knew it was going to be a good fight. Now, that one didn't turn out to be a fight of the year candidate, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but it still was a hell of a fight and definitely worth the time to watch. But the fight that I don't think anybody could have expected was going to be a fight of the year candidate, and it sure turned out to be that, was the co-feature on that show, which was Jared Hurd, the former unified champion in the junior middleweight division, now in his second fight as a middleweight, coming back from a 21-month layoff for a lot of different reasons and taking on the upstart, relatively unknown, Armando uh, Resendez, and them going balls to the wall before the fight was ended because of a, just a horrible cut laceration to Jared Hurd's lip. Uh, they stopped at five seconds into the 10th round. That was like watching a fight on a video game. And Jared Hurd may not have won, but he went back to what he said in our interview that he would do back to the old Jared Hurd, which is I'm going to seek and destroy uh, every single round of the fight. It just so uh, happened that his opponent in Armando Resendez was there to do the same thing and uh, was just a little better, a little quicker, a little stronger and, and got the job done. Uh, and oh, it just yeah. it was a, a really and we'll get to the opening fight also uh, just a hell of a triple header on Showtime. And I got to tip my hat to them. I mean, they may not be able to make the biggest fights in terms of the names, but they're making good matchups that if you like boxing, uh, you're seeing very entertaining events and, and one fight after the other. It wasn't just like one fight was good. All three fights were good. And Figueroa won the main event. Let's begin right there. What did he do well? He, as advertised, he will come in, be aggressive and brawl you, try to trap you. What did you see out of him again on uh, Saturday? And he wins a, a – it's a key moment for him. He wins an interim title that sets him sets him up now at 126. Tell me more about what you saw. Well, it was it was a good fight, number one. He he won a unanimous decision uh, against McSayo. McSayo had uh, uh, been the, the guy who upset Gary Russell to win the WBC featherweight title. And then in his first defense, he lost a decision to Ray Vargas. Uh, and now he's lost this fight against Figueroa. He has now lost two fights in a row. Figueroa, of course, a couple fights ago, had lost a very razor-close decision that a lot of people thought he won in what was also a bona fide fight of the year candidate uh, a couple of years ago against Stephen Fulton. And he then moved up in weight, and he won an eliminator. And now he's here in this fight against Meg Sayo for the uh, interim title, and he wins uh, the unanimous decision. It, it earns him a shot at Ray Vargas, who's still the WBC champion, who has made it clear he's going to return to the featherweight division after he lost a few weeks ago when he stepped up to fight for the vacant WBC belt at 130 pounds. That did not go so well for him. He lost to Oshaki Foster. And rather than just be another guy at 130 with no world title, he's opting to come back to 126 and defend the world title. He'll have to fight against Brandon Figueroa, which shapes up as another pretty darn good fight. Um, so he wins the decision over Magsayo, 118-108, 117-109 on two scorecards. Uh, a lot of people very upset about those wide scores. I understand that I was not thrilled with it, but the judges were all pretty much in agreement. They only disagreed uh, on the one round that the 118-108 scorecard had it. Uh, but what he did well, so I thought he won the fight for sure. That wide, uh, I question that. Uh, and I understand uh, the the aggravation of the Magsayo team. I spoke to Magsayo's advisor, uh, Sean Gibbons, who's with Pacquiao Promotions, late, late uh, Saturday night, early Sunday morning after the fight, he was just beside himself. Uh, 
about it. Uh, the scores were skewed partly because Meg Sayo had two points deducted at different times in the fight for holding, one for holding and hitting. He was warned uh, by the referee, Thomas Taylor, who I uh, believe is one of the best referees out there. Uh, he's been in some big fights and done a great job most of the time. I thought the first point deduction that they docked Meg Sayo from was absolutely warranted and legit. He had warned him several times, and then he basically cinched up uh, Figueroa's arm and was, uh, was hitting him with the other hand. Uh, you know, you can't do that. That's a foul. He called it. Right. And stopped. I called the point deduction. The one that came later in the in the fight for holding, that one felt a little more ticky-tack to me. I didn't really think that one was necessary. Be that as it may, Mike Sayo, he was holding. And, you know, the, the rules are holding as a every now and again to try to, you know, put yourself in the right position. I get that. There's I never have an issue with that. When it becomes excessive, it becomes an issue. But you asked me, what did he do well? What, what he did well was after a very slow start in which the two, uh, the all three judges, I believe it was, that gave Meg Sayo two of the first three rounds, from there on, uh, Brandon Figueroa started to find his range, get into the groove, you know, a little bit of a slow start. But what he said after the fight was what he felt is what turned the tide for him. Uh, and I would agree with him as he finally went to the body and started to break him down a bit uh, with the body punching. And he was able to, to keep that up and... Uh, and, uh, and and do a very good job to win the fight. It was a close fight. I mean, scores notwithstanding. Even if you felt those scores were, were the right scores, TJ, the reality was round after round after round, the three-minute segments were each competitive. So if you're giving all of them to Meg Sayo or you're giving them all of them to Figueroa, that's one thing. But each round was competitive in and of itself. So it turned out to be a pretty darn good fight. And to your point about how close was it, competitive was it, at least from a punch stat standpoint, power shots landed, according to CompuBox. And again, we've been over this. It's just a, a metric to use. It's not necessarily who landed the harder punches. Plus, you can land less of harder punches and be more effective. I get that. But power punches landed. Figueroa 161 for the 12 rounds. Maxio 160, according to CompuBox. That's pretty even on the power punches for what it's worth. How about the non-power punches? Yeah. Figueroa landed 176. Next, I landed 179. The thing that I found, and again, you make the point that CompuBox is not official. They do a good job of showing you a guide to the fight. They're a, a cumulative stat. So if you throw a gazillion punches in the first few rounds and don't throw anything the last few rounds, and it's vice versa for the opponent, you still come up with the same numbers. But mm -hmm. one guy did it all at the beginning of the fight. One guy did it all at the end of the fight. I mean, it's still going to show that it's an awfully close fight. Here's the here's the key stat that I took away when I examined those CompuBox statistics. In only three out of the twelve rounds, were they separated by three by more than three land? Uh, I'm sorry, by more than four landed punches. So that tells you how competitive the fight was. Now, at that point, you know, you're right. The the stats don't measure. They measure volume and 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 raw. How many, mm -hmm. as opposed to the uh, how hard they were, like you said, or you know how good they were, or where they were. Mm -hmm. So, but it was a close, good, competitive fight. And you know, Figueroa, uh, he's just uh, he has his biggest uh, thing that he has going for him in my mind is that he just seems like he can go all day long. Like if this was a fifteen round fight, he wouldn't have been gassed after fifteen rounds. He just he never seems to heck, you know breathe hard. He's in got his cardio is phenomenal. He was in obviously great condition. He's a guy who I felt like when he went from 122 to 126 may actually be better having moved up uh, without the, the strain of making 122, which I think was finally starting to get to him in the last couple of times he fought at that weight class. I think he's going to be a lot better at 126. 
you know, that division's kind of wide open right now. You got you got uh, him with the interim belt. You got Ray Vargas with the WBC title. You got uh, um, Mauricio Lara, who just uh, won the, one of the other titles. You got uh, Luis Alberto Lopez, who has one of the other belts. Uh, you know, none of those guys, they're all exciting and interesting guys for different reasons. Um, but there's not a single one that jumps out and says, like, he can be, like, the face of the division for, for different reasons. Figueroa, because of the exposure on Showtime, because of the sort of the personality he has, uh, he's been around a little bit longer. His brother was a world champion, so he was known from that. Uh, also, he's got a chance maybe to be the breakout guy in that weight class that has not uh, got a lot of star power at the moment, even if it's got several good fighters that have titles. You know, Mauricio Lara, obviously very exciting. And and Al Luis Alberto Lopez, you know, made made a couple of really good fights too, including when he won the belt uh, not that long ago by uh, an upset over in the UK against Warrington. Um but Brandon Figueroa was right there. I'm assuming that uh, the next fight for him uh, will be against Ray Vargas whenever that takes place, maybe this summer. And that'll be an interesting fight because that's a style sort of different sort of style clash because Ray is more of a boxer. Uh, but he's, he's getting a little older, yeah, so maybe he's going to have to stand and trade a little bit more, which would probably work to Figueroa's advantage. But he loves to work the body. He did it against Meg Sayo. Meg Sayo said afterwards that he's moving up to 130 pounds. When I talked to Sean Gibbons, like I mentioned, he he said, yes, that is the case. He's going to go to 130. Um and we'll see how he does in that weight class. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. He fought a he fought a pretty good fight, also. Uh, you know, the holding was was a little bit of a problem. He did get deducted for it, but uh, I understand why he's pissed off that the, the scores were as wide. The point I made to Sean in our conversation was that I I think that when you go and watch the fight back, you know, you'll realize that that Figaro did rightfully win the fight, and that yeah, the scores were probably a little bit too wide. And yeah, the first point deduction was 100% valid. The second one was a little, was I can't say it was not valid, but it was a little more questionable coming that late in the fight for reasons that didn't really totally seem necessary. But all in all, it was a good main event. Uh, if you spent your time watching it, you know, you didn't you didn't get upset about it. Uh, it wasn't on pay-per-view. It was just, a, it was a good main event to finish off what had been an excellent uh, two previous fights. All right, we'll have more in a moment, but as we mentioned, how would you like to win a free trip for two to see David Benavides and Caleb Plant in the Showtime pay-per-view event on March the 25th? Well, our friends at Showtime are giving away an opportunity for you to go see this, and this includes airfare, this includes hotel, the whole bit. We want you to go to ppvsweeps.com. As in sweepstakes, ppvsweeps.com. Now, the grand prize winner is going to get, get a load of this, airfare for two, two great tickets at the MGM Grand Garden Arena Hotel, uh, two nights stay in the hotel, great tickets to the fight, and $1,000 in spending cash. Now, you also are going to have an opportunity to win a little lesser prize, but that's not that much lesser because if you can't go on the trip, you want to see the fight? They're going to give away pay-per-view opportunities for you to see the fight for free by entering the sweepstakes. Go to ppvsweeps.com and enter the Benavides Plant sweepstakes. You've got to do that, though, by this Sunday. The cutoff is Sunday, March the 12th. If you want to see Benavides Plant potentially in person, airfare, hotel, tickets to the fight, and spending cash, my goodness, all you got to do is enter by March 12th, ppvsweeps.com. It's from Showtime and their pay-per-view. They're giving this away for the David Benavides caleb Plant fight. You've got a chance to take part of it. 
and take part in it and maybe even win an all-expenses-paid trip to go see the fight. I love it. Go to ppvsweeps.com and find out more. All right, so to finish up, uh, you know what I'm asking you. Can we get Vargas and Figueroa maybe by the end of the year? What do you think? What are you hearing? Can that happen maybe? Uh, it's not a matter of hearing anything. It's going to be a mandated fight from the WBC. Uh, the, you know, Ray Vargas fought in, in uh, you know, earlier, you know, just, the, the year is still young. We're here in, well, you know, in early March. He fought in February. Uh, this fight took place in March, early March. So it's a mandated fight. I would have to think if he, when he comes back and when, when, uh, you know, when both those guys are coming back, it's certainly going to be the next fight. Uh, and I would imagine, you know, I, again, I, I can't tell you the exact date. Uh, you know, we all know, unfortunately, in the way the boxing operates right now, uh, in a lot of ways things go is that the top guys, the champions, a lot of times only fight two times a year. So if you take a look at the fact that, that, uh, you know, Brandon Figueroa, and Vargas have both already fought once this year. It tells me that you're looking at a fight that's probably sometime in like the later part of the summer. I mean, ideally, they'd be able to fight in the maybe early summer and then still be able to get in another fight in the fall. Uh, but we'll see. But yeah, the next fight is probably going to be uh, that fight between Vargas and Figueroa. And that will just extend another good main event on Showtime, which is certainly where that would take place. Certainly uh, an interesting fight in that weight class. And, and another opportunity for both of those guys to, uh, to to show what they can do. It didn't work out so great for Vargas uh, when he went up and fought against Oshaki Foster for the title at 130, but at 126, it seems like it'd be a, a better fight for him. And, uh, and Figueroa, like I said, man, he can go all day long. He's got so much uh, uh, desire and, and stamina, and he can, you know, he, he does a good job with the body punching, and he can hit upstairs. I mean, he just... He's he's a fun, exciting fighter to watch, and uh, I think I might have underrated him a little bit over all this last few years. Uh, even even the Fulton fight. I mean, I know he didn't win the fight; it's his only loss. But that was a really close fight that you absolutely can argue that he was the winner. And a lot of people look at Fulton as a guy that's like a borderline a guy to be on your on your pound for pound type of list. And Figueroa went basically even up with him over twelve rounds in a tremendous battle. So, uh, yeah, I think Vargas and Figueroa will see them uh, take care of their business sometime. You know, in the in the later part of the year, probably in the, in the late summer, I would think from your lips to the matchmaking make, and then the contracts getting signed. Let's get it into the ring. All right. Co-feature fight. You already alluded to this showtime PBC pay-per-view saw swift Jared heard back in the wasn't ring. It wasn't a pay-per-view. Let's, let's say I mean, this was a regular, me, fight. the regular showtime card. Forgive me, not on pay-per-view, but again, very much uh, an entertaining co-feature fight. And unfortunately for Jared heard, he doesn't get it done. What a battle. Seventh round in particular, all-out brawl. And let's give credit to the opponent, Resendez, here, who ends up getting the win. Dan, your thoughts in the recap mode. I thought this was just a great fight. This was as grueling and punishing as anything you'll see. It, it didn't have a lot of drama because there was no – like, Resendez was pretty much in charge most of the fight. You know, like, as I mentioned to you, like, when, when I did the interview with Hurd, and I was – I picked Hurd to win by a knockout. I maybe was a little biased – by that long conversation I had with him, although I don't think that was an outlandish pick because Resendez had not distinguished himself at all in his career, and his one loss was just against a regular guy that knocked him down. He beat it as it may. The 21-month uh, month layoff that Jarrett was coming back from obviously was a long layoff that, you know, you know that takes its toll, uh, particularly when he was not in, you know, some guys might take a 21-month layoff, but they're still in the gym. They're still doing their business. They're still working out. They're still staying in shape. They're still, you know, maybe sparring with guys. 
But Jarrett was was largely removed from boxing for most of that period of time. As, as we mentioned, his father had passed away. He had gotten engaged. He had you know put on some weight. He was involved with some other business ventures, non-boxing related. And when he did, and he wasn't even going to come back. And when he decided to come back, it was okay. Let me go back to the gym and get cracking. So the 21 months was not like I'm in the gym waiting for a fight or I'm overcoming an injury or something along that line. I'm rehabbing. He just basically had been out of boxing cold turkey for a bit and made the comeback. And that I think had an impact. Uh, you got to give Resendez credit. 24 years old, uh, knew this was the biggest opportunity of his career to really make a name for himself. And he he had that sort of attitude. It felt like in the ring, and uh, and Jared heard. Um, you know, it's not like he fought a bad fight. Like I looked at Jared the way he boxed, and I not, I didn't think like, oh my god, I'm seeing a guy that's a shell of himself, or he's a totally shot fighter. I mean, Jared was dishing out the punishment, and, but he was taking it also, as was Resendez. But Resendez seemed to always sort of be a punch ahead of him, a step ahead of him, and uh, you know, threw a lot more punches, uh, landed, you know, landed a lot more punches overall. Again, copy box, it's spaced out round by round, so I don't, I didn't like took and look and see what the breakdown round by round punches were. Uh, but it was it was a rough night at the office, but a fantastic fight. Credit to both guys. Uh, you know, Jared said after the fight he's gonna you know think about what he wants to do. Um, but he, he did say he said he's not going to be retiring. He just said I'll be back. Uh, the, the layoff you know certainly impacted him. I feel like you know Jared you know was was a uh, because of the style he fought in with that crazy pressure style and a great chin that it made for a short prime. Uh, but the thing about him was he fell into a rut like so many of the top fighters today where he didn't get the activity level. And that can just make your skills and everything, it helps it fade away more quickly. And not every fight would have to have been a war, but he just didn't have the, he would have benefited, I feel like, from more activity. You know, and I don't think every single fight would have been an all-out war. And when you take that much time off, and it's not like this is the first layoff he had, TJ. He had other layoffs that were, you know, eight months or a year plus or whatever, that if you add up cumulatively over the last, say, five or six years, much of it was out of the ring for Hurd. So his prime was fantastic. He had a lot of great fights and knockouts and, you know, big performances. Um, but, you know, time waits for nobody in this sport, and he's in there with a 24-year-old kid that's hungry as hell. And uh, and uh, we saw what happened. Now, the fight ended, and we should mention this is important. Uh, Jared was losing on the scorecards clearly way behind to the point where I believe it was after round seven in a 10-round fight, maybe it was after round eight, but certainly earlier than you would normally. I think it was round seven, where Andrew Council, who was Jarrett's trainer, uh, told him in no uncertain terms, you need a knockout. I mean, that's right. how... Just clear. being honest I mean, with him. I'll give, right. I'll give Council this, I'll give counsel this uh, credit. He didn't bullshit his man. He told him exactly the real deal. And uh, he also made the point, you know, as we talked about Jared going back to his old style of just pressure, 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 not trying to you know, reinvent his wheel by using the ring and boxing and moving. At one point between rounds also, Andrew Council told him, you know, be who you are, you know, go do what you do, which is the pressure and and just go in there and, and try to go get your man. And uh, I thought that was, uh, that was uh, you know, the right thing for him to tell him, to just sort of reinforce, like, you know the type of fighter you are. Let's go do that. That's what we've practiced. That's what we've trained for. Um, but the, the, the biggest issue was in round nine, I believe it was, uh, Jared Hurd suffered a horrible laceration on the inside of his lip and mouth. And he seemed okay. The bell rang to start round 10. Uh, the referee saw, obviously, the blood and the issue, called the timeout, uh, as they do in California, waited for the for the bell to ring, then called the timeout, brought him over to have the uh, ringside doctor, uh, Paul Wallace, who was a very well-known 
ringside doctor in California who's seen, you know, everything you can imagine. He was the one that called it off when Vitaly Klitschko had that uh, grotesque uh, gash in his eye years ago against Lewis. Um, And Paul Wallace has seen everything in the ring. So he's not a guy that is uh, for the, he's not a faint of heart kind of guy. So if he says the fight's got to be stopped, I'm going to trust him and tell, tell people, you know what, if, if Dr. Wallace says the fight's off, the fight really should have been called off, but he didn't even hesitate. He looked at, at Jarrett's mouth for about three seconds, looked it over, gave him a little swab and looked right at the referee and said, no, you got to stop it. And uh, of course, at that point, the referee did the right thing and he stopped the fight. Um, so it, it was a terrible injury in terms of the cut. It wasn't like he took punishment. He was like out on his feet or he couldn't protect himself or, you know, he didn't know where he was. He had just suffered a, a very terrible cut that caused the fight to be called off. Uh, I feel bad for Jared because it's been a long road back for him. And, uh, you know, that's not really not the way he wanted to go out. But you also on the, on the flip side, you got to be thrilled for a kid like Resendez who uh, was completely obscure yep. and just scored a huge win and not just a huge win, but against a good quality opponent in a massively exciting fight. So, you know, that's that's boxing. You know, we'll see Resendez maybe uh, get into another fight of consequence and made a name off of a good former champion. And, you know, whatever Jared Hurd decides to do, I wish him nothing but the best of luck. He's a great guy and uh, he's been a joy to watch and cover and he's a cool dude. And, you know, whatever he decides, uh, I hope he makes the right decision. It's just another example with Resendez there. Until you get in the ring, I mean, the, the, you know, he was unheralded. It's a kind way to put it. Lesser known. But he put up a great performance and a tremendous seventh round in that fight with he and Jared Hurd uh, from that. All right, wrap up the Showtime card. We got some fight news and a little nostalgia before we're done. But wrap up the card, including the 19-year-old that was in the opening bout on the Showtime card. Go ahead. Well, if it wasn't for Resendez doing what he did to Jared Hurd, then it would have definitely been the middleweight Elijah Garcia who would have stole the show in the opening uh, televised fight. He's a 19-year-old southpaw from Phoenix who... Was, was matched off against uh, an undefeated fighter, Amilcar uh, Vidal, who folks have seen if they watch Showbox, who was also considered you know an up-and-coming kind of guy. Uh, oh, I mean, to think that that your opponent's 19 and you're the old man at 27 <laughs> you know, shows you uh, the way boxing can go sometimes. But Vidal uh, looked really good the first couple of rounds. He looked like he was taking Elijah Garcia to school, and he was on his way to doing something really impressive that, uh, that fight. Uh, but that's what happens why they keep going. And Elijah Garcia kind of, you know, figured things out, got himself together and started to come back. And, you know, he's got good power, which he showed. He moves to 14 and 0 with 12 knockouts, but he caught uh, Vidal with a big right hook that sort of rocked his world. It was sort of the beginning of the end. He put a bunch of other punches together and basically drove him into the canvas and he was all done. And uh, the referee stopped the fight, but it was a good stoppage. It wasn't like it was quick or anything. That was Jack Reese, who's one of the best referees in boxing. And, uh, you know, with that, you see the coming out party of Elijah Garcia, who, if anybody watched that fight and saw what he did, uh, you must have said to yourself, I got to see this kid again, because you definitely want to see this kid again. And of course, uh, as Mauro Ranallo, uh, the Showtime blow-by-blow commentator said in uh, something to the effect of, well, I'm not a matchmaker, but how about a little Elijah <laughs> Garcia against Armando Resendez, you know, both middleweights, uh, you know, that would be... <laughs> An exciting fight. And it, it just shows you. It's what I've said before. I'm not the only one. It's a common saying in boxing. Fights make fights. Because if you said on Saturday morning, wow, a great fight in the middleweight division would be Armando Resendez against Elijah Garcia. People would look at you and go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but now we saw what these two guys did 
with Galarcia doing what he did against his opponent, an undefeated fighter who had, uh, you know, shown some chops on Showbox, and then what Resendez did against a very well-regarded former champion. Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen anytime soon, I right. wouldn't think, given the way the sport is. But the point is there's now, in, in a middleweight division that has turned somewhat lackluster with the lack of activity from the top guys, guys being idle, you know, Triple G having vacated a title – seemingly closer to retirement than anything. Charlo out in almost two years looking to make a comeback, but, you know, still nothing solid on when and where and who, uh, you know, the division has not been, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great historical division. That's not so good at the moment, but now you see these two guys with Resendez, what Resendez did. And then of course, what I just mentioned about Elijah Garcia, you know, you're like, okay, maybe it may not be the greatest division in boxing right now, but there's a couple of younger guys to keep your eye on. All right, good enough stuff there on the Showtime card. All right, perfect segue into That's a good news. show, TJ. That was a good show. Oh, yes, from beginning to end on that. Perfect segue with the middleweight division. Let's get into some news. We've got the looming purse bid uh, coming here for Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, and uh, and his WBA mandatory in Erislandi Lara. Although you're skeptical about this fight actually happening here, give me just give me the latest on the news off the weekend. Well, if you go back from the previous week, he already vacated the IBF title because they had ordered his mandatory uh, in that division or in that organization against Esquiva Falcao. And look, Triple G is not afraid to fight anybody. Obviously, I mean, all you got to do is look at the the career that the man has had and and the desires to fight all the best guys. You know, who wouldn't fight him back in the day. But the problem with the Falcao fight is there was really no commercial interest in the bout. And, you know, Triple G's at a certain level where he's, you know, he expects to make a certain amount of money. And it just wasn't there for that kind of fight. The networks weren't so interested. You know, Falcao was promoted by uh, by top rank. And, you know, they were asked about their interest. And they're like, well, I mean, not that they were disinterested, but certainly not in any way the at the price level that Golovkin would expect. And he's going to, so he vacated the title. He did the right thing because he didn't drag it out to the last minute to, you know, go through all the nonsense waiting for a purse bid and, hold everybody up. He's like, you know what, this is not going to happen. So, you know, I'm vacating the belt, which I know he probably didn't want to do, but now he's faced the same situation. It's like, uh, it's like uh groundhog's day. He's in the same exact scenario with Arislani Lara, where, well, I happen to think that's not a bad fight. Like in terms of, in, you know, interesting matchups, Lara, you know, at one time was one of the most boring fighters that you could ever want to lay eyes on. But as he's gotten a little older and he's slowed down a little bit, partly responsible for why the fight he had with, uh, Jared Hurd uh, in 2018 was the fight of the year because he he's forced to stand and fight. And the man has a heart, so he'll do that if necessary. Um, but there was, again, with this fight between Triple G and Lara, there's not a lot of commercial interest at the price level that it would cost to put on the event. So who's going to foot the bill? You, you, you can't really put that on pay-per-view and have it generate real money. I don't know who's going to you know buy that fight to the level where it's going to turn a profit and be able to pay uh, Golovkin what he wants. Um he doesn't have a promoter or a network right now. His, his contract with, with the zone is up. So he's not going to get their big checks anymore. He was used to making over the course of that deal. You know, he's making eight figures for his fights. Uh, you know, I don't see PBC blowing their budget on a triple G fight. There's, they got a lot of other stuff they want to do on pay-per-view uh, that will be uh, taking a precedent over that. So the point is the triple G camp and the Lara camp have talked from what I am told by, by people involved. And they're not like against having the match. There's just no real way to get it done in terms of finances. And so I feel like this purse bid, uh, I don't know if it will actually ever take place. It's scheduled for March 13th. Um, it just feels like, you know, Golovkin's going to end up having to vacate this title also because nobody wants to buy 
that match and fund it at that level. Now, the caveat to that would be if somehow, some way he can do what's been done and what sort of the hope is for a lot of these big fights is if you can find a sugar daddy in the Middle East somewhere or, or some exotic location that wants to just, you know, spend a shitload on this kind of fight like they've done in Saudi Arabia for different fights, you know, is it possible? I guess, but it just seems sort of unlikely. So I don't know what Golovkin's going to do, TJ. The guy is 40 years old, clearly in the twilight of his career. He's coming off of a loss against Canelo, and he gave up one belt. The second one uh, that he has with the WBA seems uh, that it's not going to be long to be around his waist. Whatever happens, the, the only silver lining I find is that if the fight happens, great. If the fight doesn't happen, uh, he'll probably uh, vacate. It just means that the WBA will be one step closer to only having one title holder in every single weight class. they got about six divisions left to go. Uh, this is one of those that's been giving them uh, agita for a while, uh, and this is going to get worked out one way or the other. When this is over with, fight or no fight, there's going to be one champion of the WBA in the middleweight division, and for me, that's a good thing. But still, if Golovkin has no belts to defend, what's the marketability? Where's the? Where, does he go as a challenger against somebody else? I don't so, know. That's, that's the point you know, you're making. That's the point you're making. Also, Just to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, he said after he lost the fight to Canelo in their third fight that took place last fall, obviously in the super middleweight division, he was pretty adamant, like, look, you know what? I'm going back to middleweight. I'm going to defend my titles. I'm not retiring. Now it's been several months later. That's already been – it's been six months or so. Uh, you know, he might decide at this age. He's made vast amounts of money over the last number of fights. You know, that's not – you know, he's got more than enough money to last a lifetime. Um, for him and his descendants, maybe he just calls it a day. Maybe I mean, he's had a long career. He had over almost 400 amateur fights, silver medal in the Olympics, Hall of Fame, uh, you know, caliber fighter, going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in boxing, uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame, uh, unified titles, fought all the guys that were willing to fight him. Two fights with Canelo, got ripped off in the first fight. Um, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. He was one of the great, most exciting fighters of his time. Uh, for me personally, an absolute joy to cover. Um, you know, I had a chance to cover basically every single one of his fights. And I think I only missed one, two fights of his in America. One was in the bubble during COVID. Uh, and one was, uh, the first one that I didn't attend, but I had a chance to even travel to the UK to cover him when he fought Kel Brook, uh, got to know him and his team pretty well over the years, uh, a good guy and a great fighter. And, uh, if it ends like this, it's, you know, you go out with a whimper instead of a bang, but you know, what's he got to prove? I mean, the belts at this stage of the game don't make Triple G. In the early days, they did make Triple G. But he's much bigger than the belts at this stage of his career. Um, I just hope whatever happens, he gets to do it on his own terms. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case in terms of being able to defend his uh, his hard-earned middleweight title. All right. Uh, quickly, a couple of other news items. Uh, again, Amanda Serrano injured. We covered that already. But now Katie Taylor, because of that injury maybe fighting somebody else on that May 20th date and may move up to do it. What's it looking like real quick? Well, she wants to save the date May 20th. I mean, yes, the Serrano fight was obviously the big one, the rematch of their great fight that they had last year. But Katie, she wants to fight, and she wants to fight at home in Ireland. She has never fought a professional fight in Ireland. Uh, this was supposed to be the first time in Dublin to go home where she's a national hero, and Serrano was unavailable for the May 20th date. So what she did was the other day on social media – she was like, look, and she she tagged Eddie Hearn and she tagged Chantel Cameron. Chantel Cameron is the undisputed champion uh, of the women in the junior welterweight division. It's, you know, Serrano is the undisputed champion in the featherweight division. Katie is the undisputed champion in the lightweight division. In any event, 
she wants to fight and she wants a big fight. She wants to be doing it in, in Dublin. And as long as Amanda Serrano was not available and can't go through with that date, she was like, hey, and she tagged Eddie Hearn and Chantel Cameron said, it, uh, and she did it politely. I'll, I'll, let's, let's get, I'll move up to 140 and I'll challenge you for your undisputed title. Let's get this done, Eddie. I want to save the date. And I'm paraphrasing what she said. Um, I find the, here's the exact verbiage of what she wrote. Let's get it done, Eddie Hearn. This homecoming has waited long enough. Three Arena Dublin is available. So let's give Ireland a night to remember on May 20th. Let's go, Chantel Cameron. Happy to move up and wait for the opportunity to become a two-weight undisputed champ. And listen, if she can't fight Serrano, there is nothing wrong with that. Chantel Cameron has all four titles. Uh, she is 17-0. Uh, she is from England. That would be obviously a big fight also. Katie Taylor has won a title at the junior welterweight limit before. She did a, in the middle of her lightweight title range, she did jump up for one fight and won a belt in that weight class and then quickly vacated and returned to the lightweight division. Um, but this is, this is the key. Chantel Cameron responded to her saying that she was interested. And I went and I spoke to some people that are involved with Katie. And this is not just idle chatter of her saying, let's do this. There's a real good chance that she will fight May 20th against somebody else. And if it's Cameron, that would be a pretty big fight. All right. Good stuff on that. Uh, one more news item real quick. Callum Smith, former super middleweight uh, champ, lost to Canelo Alvarez back a couple of years ago. He was supposed to headline, what, this weekend, correct? Keep me straight. I've been traveling. I'm fatigued. March 11th. That, March 11th. Forget, well, this yeah, coming so Saturday. This, so he's now injured and out for that fight card. Tell me more just real quick as we come off the weekend. So he's sitting there as the mandatory challenger, TJ, for Arthur Betterbiev. That was supposed to be a fight that would take place later this year, but Betterbiev had just fought Anthony Yard. And so Callum Smith was going to get into one more fight while he was waiting. It was supposed to be uh, this Saturday coming up in Liverpool, England, which is Callum Smith's, uh, which is his home, his hometown. He's supposed to fight a Polish fighter named Paywell Stepien. Uh, that fight is now off. I don't think it's even called a postponement. I think it's just canceled. Um, and he'll look to probably go in the ring with uh, better be having the mandatory later in the year. Uh, if that, you know, when that gets ordered, but the good thing, if you're a boxing fan is at least they're not canceling the show. It's a zone event that takes place again, still in Liverpool and uh, the young fighter from Los Angeles, the super middleweight, who was uh, just a young kid, 21 years old, who was in everybody's top prospects list at the end of 2022, the 17-0 uh, Diego Pacheco, who was already on the undercard, uh, taking on uh, uh, Felix Cash. He is going to stay on that show, and he'll move up into the main event. Or I take that back. He's fighting uh, Jack Cullen, and they're going to keep that. He'll stay on the card. And, uh, you know, it, the card takes a big hit. But let's be honest, Callum Smith against Stepien wasn't exactly uh, – you know, a massive uh, fight to begin with. It was really a stay busy fight for Callum Smith, who doesn't lose his mandatory status. What it does do, though, with the way they've rejiggered this a little bit, uh, is it's going to give a kid like uh, Diego Pacheco the spotlight of the main event uh, as one of the best young fighters in the sport. I mean, in my top 15 prospects that I did at the end of last year, I had him in the top four or five. Uh, he's a very outstanding prospect, uh, a good amateur career uh, out of Los Angeles, coming along very nicely, has looked very good in recent fights. And, uh, and we'll see if he's, you know, it's going to be his first time in the main event. He's traveling to the UK. We'll see if Jack Cullen, who's 21 and three with a draw, can give him a test. You know, Jack Cullen's not an old fighter. He's only 29 years old. And, uh, you know, I suspect Pacheco is going to take him out, but we'll have to wait and see. All right. Good stuff on the news. By the way, we mentioned again, second time in the podcast, because you've got to act quickly. Do you want to win a free trip for two for the David Benavides Caleb Plant Showtime pay per view event? On March 25th, all you got to do, Showtime is giving this away. Go to ppvsweeps.com, and the winner is going to get round-trip airfare for two, 
Two great tickets to the fight at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, plus hotel for two and $1,000 spending cash. What are you waiting for? Go to ppvsweeps.com and get in. And by the way, even if you don't get the grand prize, they're giving away free showings of the pay-per-view to select number of winners that enter at ppvsweeps.com. So get there now. Again, Showtime offering this. You've got to enter by this Sunday, March the 12th, before they do the drawing for the pay-per-view on March 25th. David Benavides and Caleb plant go to ppvsweeps.com find out more about the showtime great giveaway to go see the fight airfare accommodation fight tickets and spending cash ppvsweeps.com and we wrap it up with a little nostalgia my friend uh a couple of a couple little bits of nostalgia here both anniversaries on sunday first of all oscar de la hoya's first world title win we keep saying this 29 years ago for the Golden Boy that that happened. And Sunday also special for Canelo Alvarez. But give me both here. Well, Oscar De La Hoya, 29 years ago, who could believe it was that long ago, was still a young kid back then. You know, not that long removed, a couple years removed, not even two full years removed uh, from the uh, gold medal in the uh, Olympic Games in Barcelona. He was 11 and 0 at the time. So it tells you how, how long ago that was. And uh, it was his first chance to win a world title. He went on to win world titles and what was at the time a record six weight divisions he in this particular fight he he uh he took 10 rounds to stop jimmy Bredal, who was an undefeated fighter uh to win the wbo junior lightweight title now i know people like to nitpick and say well that the wbo wasn't really considered a big world title at the time and that's true enough i can't argue with that but it has become a recognized title oscar de Loy certainly had a standout career so i'm giving him credit for it i mean you know he didn't beat azuma nelson for the title fair enough but it doesn't detract from the great career. And it's just merely uh, uh, an, an, an interesting anniversary. Oscar headlined uh, this particular card. This was at the old Olympic Auditorium, which was one of the great venues for boxing for decades in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I'm very happy to say that even though it wasn't often and it wasn't a big card, at the very least, I got to go and cover one fight there, which was uh, when I was in Los Angeles for a much bigger fight that was a couple of nights later. So at least I can say I've seen a fight at the old Olympic. But anyway, Oscar won that fight on HBO against Jimmy Bredahl, knocked him out in round 10. Um, and what's interesting, not only was it a great uh, victory to launch Oscar into his championship reign, uh, because he then soon moved up uh, afterwards, you know, a couple fights later up to the lightweight division and then went on to win titles all the way up to the middleweight division. But the undercard co-feature of that night was James Tony, who was at the time uh, undefeated 41-0-2. A lot of people thought he was, uh, you know, one, two, three on the pound for pound list. He was defending his title against Tim Littles. And this was a fight where James had a horrible, horrible cut. And his title was in real jeopardy. It was from a punch. They were going to stop the fight. His his uh, corner told him, go out there and knock this man out. And what did James do in the fourth round? He went out there and he knocked his man out in a very dramatic fight. And then Oscar then entered the ring and won his first world title. So, uh, you know, I like to look back on these types of moments. Uh, you know, I feel like as much as we talk about the present day, of boxing, which is important. That's what people want to know. We see these great fights that these big moments and these big fights and these important milestones shouldn't be forgotten. I like to, you know, of course, as people know, put up my programs and posters. And if I have them tweet photos of them or put up the video from YouTube. So I did that today with the program and the poster from this, uh, De La Hoya fight. And then you asked me about Canelo yep. uh, and I find it interesting, you know, Canelo, uh, 12 years ago on Sunday was when he won his first world title. And of course he spent many years, 
uh, you know, closely associated with Oscar as his promoter from Golden Boy. So two of the most popular fighters and best fighters of their time share the same anniversary of when they won their first world title. Now, when he won his first world title, Canelo was at the uh, junior middleweight division. And um, similar, it was a WBC vacant title. He wasn't taking on like a top, top opponent. He was fighting Matthew Hatton, who was the younger, uh, the younger brother of uh, Ricky Hatton. Uh, they did that fight in Anaheim, California. He did go 12 rounds against Canelo, but Canelo won a shutout, uh, 119, 108 in all three scorecards. The only reason it wasn't 120 to 108 was because Canelo had had a point deducted at one point for uh, hitting on the break. But uh, again, it, would, it, it was the start of the championship career of a guy that developed into the best fighter of his time, a pound-for-pound guy, a superstar of, of, uh, at the highest level of the sport. And, uh, you know, he was only 20 years old when he won that fight. He became, to my recollection, he was the second youngest fighter ever to win a title in the junior middleweight division. Only a few months older, I believe, than Darren Van Horn, who did it back in the, you know, many years earlier than that. But, uh, you know, it tells you that Canelo Alvarez from 2011, when he won that fight against Haddon, here we are 12 years later. He's still going strong, still at the top of his game, but now an undisputed champion, uh, you know, in the 168-pound division. And, it, you know, if you go 12 years in boxing, that's an era. And sure he's dominated the era. I mean, and had some of the biggest fights of that time. And uh, him and Oscar De La Hoya, both the face of boxing for long periods of their career. And they will be uh, remembered for a lot of things, but there's only one first, which is your point about the nostalgia. Who's your yeah. first world title win against? And I guarantee you both of them can recollect everything about it. It might be a little easier for Canelo, 12 years, not 29 years. But they can tell you about winning the first. Whatever it is, it's a big deal when it's the first. And so there you go on uh, on winning world titles. With that, it has been an interesting uh, recap show for a lot of different reasons with good action, some news, some nostalgia. Anything else in closing um, before we head to this week? Anything else or are we good? Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to this week because uh, although it hasn't been sent out to the press in terms of like an official announcement with the details, my understanding is that come – uh, midweek, we'll be seeing back-to-back uh, -back press conferences for the uh, announcement, a formal announcement of the Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia fight. So there'll be hopefully uh, some interesting uh, comments and some fireworks between those guys as they as they face off with each other. Uh, I believe one press conference will be in New York City, one will be in Los Angeles, and uh, we you know we'll build towards what's going to be a huge fight uh, come April 22nd, and uh, that's something to look forward to for the week. And uh, you know, come the weekend, you know, we mentioned the Pacheco fight now in the new headliner on, on the, the zone show, but I'm, I'm actually very much looking forward to the other fight that takes place on Showtime on Saturday, another outstanding fight in their schedule of events. This is the the one fight card that they're taking uh, via satellite from Sydney, Australia, uh, live for us here in the United States. Nice uh, of them to do that. When Tim Zhu takes on uh, Tony Harrison, they're fighting for the, the interim title of the junior middleweight division uh, for the WBO. That's obviously to get a chance to be the next opponent for, Charlotte, when he comes back uh, from his injury, uh, you know, who's the undisputed champion. What I find to be kind of cool about this, I'll just mention this real quick, is when Showtime does that broadcast, they're not going to Sydney. They're calling this a Showtime International. So they'll have their their group in the studio in New York City, but they've got Charlotte joining them in the studio. So it's going to be very interesting to hear his comments uh, as he sits there and watches the fight that takes place between him and whoever his next opponent's gonna, going to be against. And keep in mind, you know this, but I'm saying this to the audience, he fought Tony Harrison twice, lost to him controversially, beat him in the rematch, 
And Zoo, again, was supposed to be the opponent, but Charlo had the broken hand. He'll hopefully give the update on the timeline on when he thinks he can fight again. I'm interested as well. All of that will be part of our preview of the weekend as you share all this. My friend, off the weekend, great stuff here. Thank you for the time, as always, Dan Rayfield, and we want everybody to have a good week. All right, man. I'll talk to you during the week. There is uh, Dan Rayfield, our insider, Fight Freaks Unite Substack, BigFightWeekend.com. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, go to PPVSweeps.com to find out more about Benavidez versus Plant and the great offer from Showtime, the chance to win all expenses and fight tickets to go see that uh, pay-per-view fight in person, PPVSweeps.com. One more time to go check that out. For now, we are good. Thank you for finding us off the weekend. We'll be back with a big fight weekend preview heading into next weekend to preview all of the action right here on this podcast feed, the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. We're done right now, though. Off the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite. For Dan Raphael, I'm TJ Reeves. Have a great week.